0: Can you believe it? Episode 75 of the Greatest Games Podcast is here. Fans, we can't thank you enough for all the support that you've shown over the last few months. We are truly worldwide with listeners now. Can't thank you enough for your support of this show Episode 75 here with Coach Dave Odom. This one is extremely, extremely special to Chris and I as we got to work with Coach back in the day at the University of South Carolina. Such a great guy. This episode is so much fun. And if you have not done so, please visit teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Sign up for a free trial there and check out all the incredible content that Coach Steve Collins has at teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Hello, and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio.
1: Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a JV coach, a an AU coach, an SEC, an ACC coach of the year, just whatever game they figure is
0: their greatest game. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris de Blasio, again, you have hit it on the head once again. We have a former – he's a former high school assistant, a former high school coach college assistant and then highly successful head coach at the division one level he won three nit championships two acc tournaments one acc regular champion, championship and he is episode 75 of the greatest games podcast i don't know that might be the greatest accomplishment we can talk about that later on but coach dave odom welcome to the greatest games podcast
2: you guys are too much. I am so proud of both of you. Uh what a great contribution back to basketball one that uh you know that uh, the, the sport needs right now. We're not in the greatest shape. Uh you know, when I was growing up, uh there were some uh real legends ahead of me, you know, that, that sort of handed the game of basketball to me in pretty good shape, and I'm afraid that my generation has not been as uh, shall we say, is smart with some of the decisions that we've made. And we need people like you guys, Brian uh, and Chris, you guys uh, to come in and help us restore the uh, reputation uh, that basketball once had, and uh, not only college basketball, but certainly high school basketball as well.
1: That's so true, Coach. It's it's a sport where we all want to try to give back and, and move it forward and leave it in a better place than we found it. Uh, why don't you take us through, as Brian mentioned, some of the stops. But why don't you take us through specifically some of the stops uh, from your time as a player at Guilford College all the way to your uh, time as a head coach in the ACC and SEC. Just kind of take people through that resume.
2: Well, uh, if, you, if, if we've got time, let me go back a little further. Um, I grew up in Goldsboro, North Carolina, which is down east, about 52 miles east of uh, – raleigh halfway between raleigh and the coast um so i know that area pretty well and um you know it's a lot of sand and a lot of tobacco and cotton and, and that kind of thing but i grew up in a town uh of about at that time probably twenty five, thirty thousand. um i played all sports um uh when you know you start off the the uh, fall season and it was high school football and and it migrated into high school basketball and then into baseball. I have to tell you that baseball uh, growing up was probably my favorite sport, um, and I've always felt uh, that it was probably my best sport. Um, I, I always said to anybody that would listen that I felt like I could play in the major leagues in baseball except for one thing. I was a left-handed batter, and I couldn't hit left-handed pitchers and the problem was there were eight teams in my league we were one of the eight and uh, of the other seven five of them had left-handed pitchers all of which did go to the major leagues and uh, it just uh, kicked my butt i couldn't i couldn't get past those those left-handers uh but uh, so I, I always played the sport that was in season and it was never my 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 father was a uh, a car dealer a Pontiac Cadillac and um you know everybody in that town kind of felt like, uh, that I would end up going into the car business, but I had no intention of doing that. And, and, and to my dad's, uh, credit, he didn't force me to do that. He, he gave me an opportunity to go and do what I really wanted to do. And that was be part of an athletic program in some way. I didn't know I was going to end up being a head coach and all that, but I wanted to be that. So I had a chance to go to Guilford college, ended up playing football and, uh, basketball there, and uh, then when I got out, I, I had an opportunity to go back to Goldsboro as a, um, an assistant coach in the on the varsity in football, basketball, and baseball, and then from there, I became a head coach. Now, I tell you all of that because uh, when you talk about the greatest games ever, um, you know, I, I know we'll get into some of those college games that I, I was part of, but I'll never forget the first game that I was a head coach in, and it was my it was a JV baseball game, and I was out on a out on a playing field hitting fungos and infield prior to the game before the game started. And I'll never forget, you know, I had my hat on and I had the bat and I was hitting the fungos and everything. And all of a sudden, I heard a horn blow and we had a wire fence there. And I looked outside the fence and there was my mother driving my car with my newly wed wife, Lynn, in it. And they were going to the hospital to have my first son, turned out to be Lane. And I looked at him and I waved at him and I said, y'all go ahead. I'll see you after the game. <laughs> now, <laughs> Lynn has never forgiven me for that. I don't blame her, but it just kind of tells you, you know, where my head was athletically. I mean, I, I I I just couldn't see myself missing my first game as a head coach, which turned out to be an exciting game. And at the same time, I wanted to see my newborn son, and the Lord was good to me that day, guys. We won the game in seven innings, and I got in the car immediately without showering, got to the hospital, and I went upstairs where the uh, babies were being born, and just as I got to the elevator, the door opened, and there was my best friend, House Tour. he walked out, and he said, it's a boy. <laughs> it was a great day. So one of the most exciting games was that game.
0: <laughs> I tell you, man, that really just sounds like that's the greatest game of all time. Now, question for you here, Coach. At that game, did you tell your pitcher, like, hey, work quickly, we got to get the – just. were you doing everything you could do to kind of speed that game up, or were you just there? No, <laughs>
2: no. I'm embarrassed. I am. I, I would never – I would never encourage a young coach to do what I did that day. I'm just telling you, it worked out okay for me, but it, it was because I had a understanding mother and a loving and understanding wife. <laughs> That's, and most people don't have that. I had both. Well,
1: that goes to show you, Coach. i uh, just looking here at your bio. You were probably what about 25 years old, 24, 25 years old? Not even. I
2: think I was like right out first year out of out of college. So yeah, so uh, just, I was probably see, 23. Right. Yeah, where your mind
1: is at 23, you were like, no, I got the game. Yeah. I got the game. I got the game. At 33, you probably wouldn't have done that. But at 23. No. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I wouldn't have. I'd have already gone, gone straight to the hospital.
1: So then you moved on to Durham High School, and, and then you broke into college. Talk about how you broke into college coaching you first at Wake.
2: Well, let, let's go to Durham High because it was a special game there, too. Um, I got there in 1969 and uh durham high at the time was probably uh well it was no no probably about it it was one of the best premier high schools in the state of north carolina it was located about seven miles from uh durham i mean excuse excuse me uh seven miles from duke university and uh, about 20 miles from north carolina state and about oh i don't know 15 miles from north carolina and um, so i i was in a great uh, location in terms of seeing games and yeah you know, I could go to all of them but the problem uh, was that uh, Durham High was always accustomed to challenging for the state championship in basketball and I was now I had just been chosen to be the new coach and uh, we did really well the first year uh, we had probably two or three college prospects and they go on and now, all of a sudden, in 1972, you guys remember that at all? I doubt it, because you weren't that old. But uh, it, in 1972 is when integration in public schools in the South grabbed hold of everybody's neck and began to choke us. Uh, I was in a, a school that had seven minorities. Um, uh, and I can still, I can name them to you Chico Ray and Thomas Dawson and uh Al Grafton. I mean these were all guys that were on my basketball team, and they were great kids. I mean they really were and um so you know we we were we we played the season, and then the next year, the Board of Education came out and said, all right everybody uh everybody south of this line goes to Hillside High School, everybody north of this line." Uh, goes to Durham High School. Well, Hillside High School was a predominantly black school in the city. Uh, They had none other than uh, John Lucas on their team. John was a freshman at the time. He went through four years of high school, never lost a tennis match, and he was a great, great uh, basketball player. And uh, that first year – we were, excuse me, it's the second year of integration. We uh, were asked to play Hillside Durham High versus Hillside at Duke Indoor Stadium. There was no other place in town to play it that would hold a crowd. And uh, Duke Indoor Stadium, as it is today, held about eight to nine thousand people, and there were every bit of that many people there that night. And uh, Hillside. I uh, had a great coach named Carl Easterling and John Lucas was the best player on their team and uh, it was a it was really a hard fault basketball game uh, but we ended up beating them that night um, it really was not that close uh, or else I I could make up some stories and tell you it was but it really wasn't uh, we beat them pretty good and uh, that just started a great rivalry there in town but it was one of the hardest years ever because um the you know integration at that point had uh, had not taken effect i mean it was, they were going through it and there was just lots of riots in the street and i really felt that our basketball team and our football team at durham high had a lot to do with calming things down so even though there wasn't one game yeah, the, the, the most important end game of the year was the one I just described to you, and it was held at, Durham, at Duke Endor Stadium. Uh, but it, it was just a year that I was so young, I mean, 27 years old maybe, 28 years old, and I was so young, and just going through that was unbelievable. I mean, just absolutely an unbelievable experience.
0: Coach, we recently had Phil Martelli on episode 69 a few weeks ago, and he talked about basketball being the greatest social experiment, I believe are his words. And hearing that story about uh, just some unrest in in the world and then everybody coming together around a game and just coming together and watching the game. So I love that story so much. Now it just – it helped the community at at that time. I just – I think that's so great.
2: Well, it's – you know – politics i think is a great divider church and school and athletics are great unifiers i think that brings people together um and 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 i, I think in even though there can be a lot of animosity before a game uh, you know when it's all over the thing that you've learned is to accept reality and uh you know gather the troops learn what you can from the game itself and then move forward together, everything together. Um, I, you know, we're, we're going through a time now where everybody says just hang in there together. We'll come through it. I'm not sure they all believe that, but athletically, I think we did. Uh, no, nobody, nobody ever, I can ever rarely remember at least people just turning on each other, uh, like they do in politics.
1: Cozy, oh, I'm gonna bring back a, a name or a story from the past. As you talk about the sports being a great unifier and people of different backgrounds coming together, I was working a camp with you up at uh, Lynchburg College doing the five star girls camp, and I I don't remember the 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 girl's name and the father. He played for you at East Carolina back in the '70s, and his daughter was at the camp. I think his daughter's name was Sydney. Um. God, what was um, the guy's name? Big black guy. And he walked uh, in him and saw you. Ah, oh, what was the name? God, I can't remember the name. And he came and over to you and gave you a big bear hug. Ah, oh, what was the guy's name? It's killing me.
2: Oh, I know man. who it is. David Underwood. Yes, Underwood. David Underwood. That's and to, who it was. To, to see yeah.
1: David Underwood come over to you and embrace you. And, and, you know, two people that in the 1950s in North Carolina wouldn't have, you know, Cross paths, but in the in the late seventies in North Carolina, you guys did because you were his basketball coach, and that relationship. Well, let me
2: tell you something. David Underwood was on my two team, two of my teams at East Carolina, and we didn't get along one minute, <laughs> not one minute, until the last maybe five games of his senior year. We begin. You could feel, you could feel the warmth or the tension. I guess is the word. To to eva- it just kind of began to eva- evaporate, and um, you, you're dead right. I remember that he walked in, and he brought his his girl, and she was a pretty good girl. And David um, ends up going to Dallas, Texas. He became a um, new car, um, you know, uh, head of a new car department. I think he sold Chevrolets or something like that. And he wrote me the nicest letter, and he said, "Coach, I remember when you were teaching, and and uh, you you would look at me sometimes like you you're not hearing what I'm saying, and and I guess sometimes when I played, I acted like I hadn't heard you, but I wanted I want to tell you right now that everything you said I was listening to. I just didn't know at that time I was too immature to be able to." let you know that i was listening to you and and today i'm older and i want to tell you that i appreciate everything you said and and uh uh, brian and chris that's why a lot of coaches coach is to be able to look back on that type of thing and know that you've made a positive good impact on somebody's life and david underwood i couldn't be more proud of anybody You know, he he had a son who ends up going to Stanford playing football uh, on scholarship out there. And his daughter, I think, she went to SMU. And, uh, you know, he's still in in, uh, Dallas, Texas right now.
0: That's the gift that keeps on giving, right? Because I know the the, the days that I was coaching, you know, my first, it's funny, you mentioned the five-star girls camp, because that was the last thing that I did as an undergrad after I graduated, was going up there with you, coach, to to work that girls camp. And I loved it so much. My first job out of college was coaching girls. And I was hard on those (laughs) girls. They ran a bunch. I mean, first of all, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I thought I did. And but they, I ran, but I was disciplined and we ran a good program for those two years. And I've had kids, those kids, kids that are now grown and they're wives and they have kids and all that. They've, they've come to me and said, Coach, we thank you for being hard on us. That's what we needed back then. And I'm thinking, yeah. And, and that's, I can't, yeah. I can, I, I have a hard time understanding it every time somebody says it, but they always say it.
2: Yeah. Well, it's true. Um, you know, I was listening to, um, Um, I don't know, one of the commentators today, and and, uh, they were talking uh, about uh, this guy Wentz, the quarterback for Philadelphia. Uh, Blah's up there where you are. What's the guy's name? Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. And they asked Trent Dilford today, said, if you were coaching that team, what would you do? He said, the first thing I would do is I would sit down on Carson Wentz and I would coach him hard, and I mean really, really hard because that's the only, he's just kind of drifting along now, and he's not, not really bearing down. He's just getting his money, cashing his check, and getting out of there. And, but Trent Dilfer, who I, I like to hear, he said, I would coach him, and I would coach him hard. So I think what you were saying, Brian, is true. They do appreciate that. Coach, so now you
1: get to Wake Forest as an assistant, and you told me a great story years ago about the first time you guys played NC State during the National Anthem, and your head coach told you not to look down <laughs> at Norm Sloan.
2: I've had two of those experiences. Different, They're different. Uh, don't look down at the other team. But um, I was an assistant in 76-77, Carl Tacey – Uh, the great coach who just just passed away here in the last six months, um, gave me a chance to be a a college assistant, and I'll never forget him for that. Uh, But um, we we had a really good team that first year that I was here. Uh, Skip Brown, uh, Leroy McDonald, Jerry Schellenberg, uh, Larry Harrison, and the great Rod Griffin. Uh, It was a six-man team, and uh, we won – the Atlantic Coast Conference regular season that year. And uh, we were playing the last game of the year. And it was uh, against North Carolina State, who had a really good team. Uh, Norm Sloan was the head coach uh, for them. And that was back in the days where when they had the national anthem, all the teams were out there and you were standing in front of your bench, not out on the court, but in front of your own bench. And um, in, in at North Carolina State, um, the uh, PA announcer. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, hotter than blue blazes uh, in March. It was the week before the ACC tournament started, and we wanted to finish uh, the year undefeated on the road. And so uh, we, uh, everybody, was went through warm up, and we're standing there, and uh, Coach Tacey was on the very end, closest to the score clock. And he grabs my arm, and he says, switch spots with me. I was on the inside. And I move over to the uh, spot closest to the score clock, and he moved in. I didn't know what he he wanted to do about that, but the, the announcer says, now would everybody turn your attention to center court, where the national anthem will be sung by Mrs. Norman Sloan, well, she always sang the, North, uh, the, the uh, national anthem. That was something that she always did. That was tradition at North Carolina State. But then I felt somebody staring at me, and I looked to my right, and it was Coach Sloan staring, <laughs> trying to stare us down and, and absolutely just scare us to death and then I knew why Coach Tacey didn't want to be on that end. he had always been on that end. He didn't want to feel that stare anymore. You know, it was like one of those daggers coming at you. You That's one of my favorite
1: stories. I tell that all the time to people. That is one of my all-time favorite basketball stories.
2: (laughs) It was. And, of course, we win the game. We win the game, and we end up, that year undefeated on the road in the ACC. And, uh, but it was a, a crazy, just a crazy feeling to know that the guy was just, he was trying to scare us, just stare us down, you know, but, uh, it didn't happen. <laughs> I tell, I'll tell you another quick story. Um, a few years later, well, I, I, I go to East Carolina and then, and then I go to Virginia as assistant up there. And, um, when I got up there, they were already number one in the country. We had, we had the great Ralph Sampson and Othel Wilson and Ricky Stokes and, uh, you know, who all of people know. And, uh, we just had a really great team, but that particular Sunday afternoon we had, we were entertaining the Tar Heels of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and they had the great Michael Jordan and, um, We, you know, the teams were out there warming up, and I'm sitting there looking out there, and I'm saying, "Oh my God, (laughs) this is (laughs) this is unbelievable." I mean, just the place was jam packed, University Hall, and the horn blew, and the teams go to their benches, and I always was closest to the clock, and uh, Terry Holland, who was the head coach at Virginia, leans over to me as we kneel down in front of our team, and he said, "David." when they introduce North Carolina, do not look over at their bench. Do not do it. Don't show them their respect. But more than that, don't do it. I said, why? He said, because the one thing I can guarantee you is they're going to introduce five Americas <laughs> in high school and college. They're going to introduce five. So it doesn't really matter. It's going to be five plus a Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> well, you know, you know me. I I got to look. <laughs> I got so I was kind of looking out of one eye, and then it, it went something like this: at the center position, got <laughs> Brad Doherty goes on and plays in the NBA. <laughs> at one forward position, James Worthy goes on and plays in the NBA. At the other forward position, Sam Perkins goes on and plays in the NBA. At one. Uh, One uh, guard position, um, uh, Matt (laughs) Daugherty goes on and plays in the NBA. And then the fifth one, of course, was the great Michael Jordan. That was a starting lineup for North Carolina that day. (laughs) And and we got Sampson and Robinson and Mullen and um, Jimmy Miller and Othell Wilson uh, and um, uh, Ricky Stokes and the great rick carlisle who's now coaching right. the dallas uh the dallas team so what a game that was is unbelievable we end up winning the game we end up winning the game and i i just can't tell you what a thrill that was <laughs> i let me give you another one you guys got time for one more yeah, hang on, hang on one second, 100%. Coach. And one second,
1: in this podcast, I always ask Brian trivia questions that he never gets the answer and to.
0: I always get them wrong, Coach. Okay,
1: though. so don't, don't give him the answer here. Coach is talking about the great Rick Carlisle, okay? Rick Carlisle played at the University of Virginia, but he only played there for two years, I believe. Where did he play college before
2: the University of Virginia? I, I can give it to you, Brian, whenever he gets through, whenever you tell him you don't know.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I don't know, but I do know Rick Carlisle is a heck of a piano player. I've seen him play the piano live uh, with a great. Plays music. by
2: ear. Uh, uh, Plays yeah, by ear. Absolutely. Can read music.
0: Yeah, so I I do not know. So Coach Odom, please help me out here. I'm phoning a friend.
2: All right, I'll give you the I'll give you the moniker of the uh, the team and see if you can come up with it. Ooh. Black Bears. Black Maine Bears. Maine Black Bears. Yes, the University. There you go. Matt yep. Park Country. Okay, yes, all right. Sir. <laughs> how's better than you thought wasn't it chris
1: i was all right he got the main black bears all right i knew you knew where he went to school
0: i really appreciate sure yeah you guys it means a lot matt park episode 25 of the greatest games podcast so we all the greats here on episode 25 and now to 75 and the great oh, coach I'm... Fogler, episode 50 but anyway go ahead chris
1: Yeah, don't tell coach odom all the guys we've had on before him i mean we had matt park we had coach fogler oh and, gosh Coach Sanderson, Coach Duckett, Coach Stokes, Darby Rich, Matt Jennings, all the
2: superstars. Wow, all the great ones! <laughs> and you finally work your way down to me. Uh, <laughs> pretty good. We can't get. All right, to let me tell on. you one more story. Hold on. let, let me let me go back to that that same year, nineteen eighty three. That, that's the year I was just telling you about with North Carolina. Go back to that same year at. The Dean Dome in Chapel Hill. Again, a Sunday afternoon game, national television, Billy Packer, uh, Al McGuire, uh, Dick, Dick Inberg, all there. And this is a huge game, huge game. This was, a, this was before the game that I just talked to you about at University Hall. And, uh, we're playing and with, I don't know, 15 seconds on the clock. We take the lead by one. Timeout. Timeout. We've got the ball, no less. And there's a timeout. One of the famous Dean Smith timeouts. And the players are coming over to the bench. And Terry looks at me and says, "What do you want to do?" I said, "Terry, we all got to do is get the ball in bounds. We're going to win this freaking game." He said, "Well, how do we do it?" I said, "I don't care how we do it, but let The first thing I'll, I'll do when I when they break the break the uh, horn, I'll find out who Jordan is guarding, and we're not going to throw it into him. We're going to throw it into somebody else." He said, "Okay." So we go out. Carlisle is uh, Carlisle and um, Stokes are inbound, and. Uh, Othell Wilson's taking it out. And we run our little play, and there's Stokes breaks open. Othell doesn't see him, throws the ball into Carlisle. And, of course, you know who's guarding him. And I hollered out, no. (laughs) Carlisle takes two dribbles. He hits the ball behind him, goes, gets it and dunks it at the buzzer, and we lose. <laughs> we lose the freaking game.
0: Uh, I mean,
2: all you got to do, don't, don't throw it into him. Come on. <laughs> you don't throw it into him. Carl. <laughs> that is
1: great. <laughs> I'll find out Jordan's guard and tell that guy to go run into the stands and don't throw him the ball.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, just awful. <laughs> I mean, I just I, – I, I never forget. I said, No. <laughs>
1: Oh Coach, boy, I have an ultimate question here for you. I was just going through it. You coached in the ACC, you coached in the SEC, and you coached in the old school ACC. Cole Fieldhouse, Cole Fielhald, yep. Carmichael Arena, Cameron Indoor, Reynolds Coliseum, U Hall, Winston-Salem Memorial Coliseum. You coached in the SEC, you coached at Rupp Arena. What's the best place? What's the best place in the history of college basketball for a game? Wow. Because um, the Dean Dome also, you know, obviously, you know, when Carmichael was torn down or stopped playing there.
2: Well, uh, it, it depends on how you, you know, what, what you call the best. I mean, the, the hardest to win is wherever you are that night. Because <laughs> they're all hard. <laughs> they're all difficult uh, to win. Um, but... Um, if you're saying which one is the noisiest, which one is the most fun, you know, probably um, Duke. But North Carolina State at one time was was equal to it. I used to love to go play down there. And in the SEC, no doubt, um, Rupp is 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 the is the place, no doubt.
1: The sheer uh, number I of mean, people at Rupp Arena. And yeah, the, I mean, yeah.
2: you just yeah just. Uh, and they loved their basketball, and that was always fun. The second most uh, fun in the SEC, to me, uh, was Arkansas. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, Go uh, peak suey hogs and all that stuff. I I, <laughs> I, I love that. I did. <clears throat> One of the most fun games at South Carolina was my first year there. Plus, um, you would have been there. I'm not sure Brian would have. Um but my first year we were still playing in the old McGuire Coliseum, which mm-hmm. I, uh, which I wish we'd have stayed in. Um, but um, we we played North, uh, played Kentucky there that year. And that was a great, great, great environment. It really was.
1: I can't I remember that game. You well, can't? No. Oh, I'm not, oh yeah.
0: Hey, Coach, you know, I, I grew up going to games at the old Frank McGuire arena and in Carolina Coliseum as a kid and, to be able to be in that 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 environment with a with a Kentucky or twelve thousand people. I mean there was no better place to watch basketball in my opinion than that. Bullet. I
2: agree. I agree. Yeah. I do. It was uh, it was a fun time. So anyway. Yeah. That, well, and we and we've had some others. I mean uh even that year, that first year, we go to um, it was the semifinals or finals of the SEC tournament, and we had that that call that against us. I'll never forget oh, that.
1: don't even start where Mo Williams held Chuck Edson on the ground. Please. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah yeah, was, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. just uh, Aaron Lucas still to this day he goes crazy over that call. We oh, could have, we could
2: have, worst. we could have won the Durham championship in the first year. <laughs>
1: oh, that Amazing. was the worst. <laughs> I believe we knocked off Arkansas in the first round that year.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we did. Thursday yeah. night. Yeah. I remember, you know, we, our teams all seemed like they always played really well at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those NIT years. And I think we had as good a team as it was in the country at the end of it, uh, was, um, uh, the year we won the NIT. Uh, I don't know where it was first year or second year. I think it was the second That's, year, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when we played um, in New York, and the first game in New York was against um, uh, Louis- Louisville. Yep. And uh, Patino. And then we played Michigan in the final. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I remember we were playing so well um, and just beating the daylights out of Louisville. And there was Patino standing at the other end. <laughs> and we sold the ball a couple of times in a row. Ronaldo Baltman with him and just dunked it right in their face two times in a row off the break, and uh, Rick Patino looks looked, turns and looks at me like, "What the heck is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna pile it on you, buddy."
1: <laughs> that team, I, Coach, I will take that starting five to war any day against any basketball group, Trey Kelly, Rocky, Trice, Torrance Kinsey, Ronaldo Bachman, and Brandon Wallace.
2: That was a great team. It, just, it really was at the end athletic
1: the and talented and tough ball players. I mean, Trey Kelly and Torrance Kinsey and Rocky Trice, you don't get three tougher basketball players than that.
2: And, you know, there was no chemi- chemistry problems, none. No. I mean, we just – we had the perfect team and everybody was healthy and – uh, enjoyed each other, and we just had a great time. Uh, I'll never forget that. It was great. And this has been great. I don't know if it's what you wanted, or not, you guys. It is absolutely podcast. <laughs> Who'd ever think? Greatest you do a game podcast, ever, podcast, coach?
1: Huh? Who'd ever think you'd do a podcast? You don't even know what a podcast is. I bet.
2: No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but, uh, but I've enjoyed it. I have. Terrific.
0: Well, coach, we, we appreciate you coming on. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that 2006 run because that was that run through the sec tournament, uh, getting there. I'll never forget. We get there on a Tuesday. We play on, on a Thursday at noon and then we beat who was that Tennessee in the first round Blas? Yes. All right. And then we come back the next day again, a noon game. And then we beat, who was that one again? Was that uh, Mississippi state? I Mississippi state. Yeah. And then, uh, on, on the Saturday, we come back again, I believe, at noon and beat Kentucky. And we're like, what in the world? Like, this is unbelievable. And then take Florida to the wire, who we had already beaten twice, went on to win a national championship, lost 49 to 47, and then a run through the NIT. So I really appreciate you running through that those last couple of games in the garden, uh, which I believe a couple of games that helped Ronaldo Baltman get drafted too. He played so well. Get drafted up there. Yeah, he,
2: I love that team. I, out of all my coaching – there are none that I like more, more than that. I mean, there's some other teams. But that, that, that team was a special team. It really was.
1: Coach, you always used to no, tell the no guys, too, Brian's talking about that run. I remember you always used to tell everybody, I'm bringing four suits to wherever the uh, SEC tournament is.
2: You're <laughs> you another one. You're like David Underwood. You, 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 didn't, you didn't act like you were listening, but you did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you always said, I'm bringing four suits. My other favorite one, right. you would say the first morning of practice every year. You yeah. said, I got up first thing this morning, I gave my wife a kiss, and I said, I'll see you in April.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, boy. Okay. All
0: right, well, Coach. coach
1: we- thank you very much for doing this. This is great. We can't wait to put it out and uh, tell everyone about it.
2: Yeah. I love my, my Gamecock children. <laughs> you guys are great. I appreciate it. All right, Coach. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up
0: for my co-host, Chris DeBlasio, Blasio. I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.